Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Seth Godin, author of 12 now best-selling books, a popular blogger, founder of the wildly popular website Squidoo, uh, and author of a new book that we're going to talk about today called Poke the Box, a book that encourages readers to create the status quo rather than maintaining or following it. So, Seth, welcome back. Well, John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I have to start. I would be remiss if I did not start talking about the publishing route that you took for this uh, this book. We uh, enjoyed for a period of time the same publisher, and so uh, your your announcement to go out and uh, poke your own box in in the publishing world was something that that uh, you know hit home. Uh, so so talk to me a little bit about. Uh, why and how and what you th- what you think this means? Well, I've been in the publishing business for 25 years. Uh, I love people in publishing. I trust them. I like them. I enjoyed working with them. Uh, and I made this decision because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I've been talking about how books are important and how much they have impacted me and many other people, but that publishing itself is broken. That books aren't going to die, but the notion of scarcity and the, the assumption that the customer of the publisher is the bookstore is crippling the industry. And rather than taking the money and publishing again in that way, I decided I needed to put my money where my mouth is and try to make a commotion and a ruckus and an experiment and see what would happen. And part of the byproduct of making that decision led to this book, because I'm living the words in the book. And basically what I'm saying is, that in a world where there's a lot of change, uh, the people who poke the most, the people who fail the most, the people who initiate the most often are the ones uh, who do the best, who live a better life and are doing, I think, what we're here to do. Uh, So that was what led to this. It was a two-part process. The first part was saying to myself and then the world that I was done with New York City publishers. And then second, uh, people I knew at Amazon came to me. I'd been pitching them for 15 years about them thinking about what it would mean to publish books. And they said, we're going to start this new thing. We're going to do it just with you. Uh, One day we may do it with other people. And so they are powering uh, this publishing company I'm starting. The publisher is called The Domino Project. And our mission is to change who we think about when we create books, how we bring them to the market, how we price them, how we package them, and to experiment on the edges of how you spread ideas with impact. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I suppose probably the, the, the biggest change, I mean, it's still words on paper, um, right? But uh, to me, the, the, the biggest change is the speed. I mean, what, what from the time that you initiated this project and started writing words to the f- time that, that – you know, particles uh, were able to ship. Um, you know, what was that time frame? Well, now we've got to remember, I'm also including building the whole organization and right. inventing right. all that other stuff. But we uh, finalized the deal with Amazon on December 12th, and the book will come out on March 1st. We could have done it two weeks faster, but we didn't want to give anyone a heart attack. Yeah. Well, and, and for, um, you know, to give people a, a sense of that, I, I signed a deal on my next book in October, um, I am to turn in the final May or June. It will be on the list next February. Yeah, 
exactly. And and why are we crippling ourselves? Because many, many things that books are about are fairly time-sensitive. And what's happened is even the newspaper is old, as John Stewart pointed out. You know, why do they call it the newspaper? Everything right. in it is old. Okay. Uh, in that kind of world, you're not going to be able to spread ideas that have currency if you have to wait a year and a half before they see the light of day. Yeah, I mean, don't don't ask me to write a book about Facebook on that time frame, right? Because <laughs> as we Facebook as we know it, by the time a book even in your bottle gets published, you know, maybe uh, outdated. Um, so explain the metaphor of poking the box. I think it's, we, you've already danced around it. It's fairly self-evident, but just uh, in your words. Well, if, you know, the way people learn computer, computer programming, it's fascinating. <laughs> uh, you learn to computer program by coding, having it not work, and then fixing it until it does. <laughs> and that's how you figure out how computers work. That's how you figure out how software works. It's the only way, it's the way everyone does it, and it works. And one of the reasons it's done that way is the cost of the code not working is zero. You know, you, pro you write something for five minutes, you press a button, you see if it works, and you see if it doesn't, and then you go on. And so there's a very short cycle of test and improve and test and improve. Well, in the economy of 1970, the cycle was three years long. You know, raise some money, build a factory, hire a sales force, buy some trucks, get some raw materials, make something, and three years later, you find out if you've got anything that works. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't, in a world like that, just haul off half-assed and try something new because right. it's too much risk. And if you're running General Motors in 1979 and someone tries something new on the assembly line, that could cost you $5 bucks before you fixed it. So we had an, an industrial economy that rewarded perfection. And we had an industrial economy that rewarded compliant workers who did exactly what they were told. And now what's happened are two things. One, if your job is to do what you're told, well, your boss is going to find someone else to do it cheaper than you. And two, in a world that changes really fast, perfection is unattainable. All that's attainable is interest. All that's attainable is learning. And so if you are going to remain brainwashed by the people and the mothers-in-law and the teachers that are telling you you have to fit in and be perfect all the time, you're going to be defeated by entrepreneurs, small business people, and others that are willing to fail regularly because they have figured out how to protect themselves against the cost of failure. So it's, it's sort of, I mean, would you suggest that the the beta uh, and a, the alpha and beta, you know, launching uh, uh, that, that you can do online is uh, is breeding that mentality? Well, sure. I mean, think about the difference between writing a book and writing a blog post. Mm. You, know, you can put something up in a blog post, and if it's wrong, you can change it in two minutes, you can delete it, or you can just leave it up and write a better one tomorrow. Whereas a book has copy editors and line editors and proofreaders and typesetters, and it better be perfect. And my argument is that the world is shifting much more to this idea of public experimentation, of interacting with a few customers, which used to be really hard, mm -hmm. to find out what works, and then rolling out what does work to the rest of your customers. To play a little devil's advocate, does it also... Though... I need to interrupt you for one second. The devil is doing fine. He All doesn't right. need an advocate. Right. But if you want to go ahead, you can feel free. To, to, to suggest... I don't even know how to, where to start with that. But uh, to suggest um, a, another view, uh, does that sometimes breed a let's just ship the thing and let the market fix it mentality that that may or may not uh, sink a company 
This is a brilliant insight on your part. There is two ends of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is being afraid and trying to be perfect and shipping nothing. And the other end of the spectrum is being afraid and shipping junk. Mm -hmm. That if you're one of those guys, and you and I both know them, who are always working on their next big deal and their next big invention and never actually do anything that matters, you're doing that because you're hiding, right? That the middle is not either end. The middle is being willing to fail big, being willing to ship the thing out the door with your name on it, with full responsibility, being willing to push yourself to make something great, but also understanding that you'll do it again tomorrow. This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. Well, you you actually have, and I wish I'd have written it down. And I remember thinking, oh, that's 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 a brilliant insight. Uh, you, you you usually have several in every book, right? Um, that uh, this idea of finishing is so important, and it's it's you're not just talking about starting stuff; you're talking about finishing too. And I, and I think that that is uh, something that trips a lot of people up. They 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 think of this idea of hey, let's just get it out the door. We you know let's start the new idea. But the brilliance really is in finishing. That's right. If you don't finish, the starting doesn't count. Right. And I hated the the Facebook movie, uh, but one of the uh, interesting lessons from it, which is completely fictional, is this. Uh, is this whole idea of the Winklevosses. You know, these guys, the super <laughs> and Harvard guys, they're busy suing people because someone took their idea. Well, the idea is worth nothing. Nothing. And I hate it when people send me a note saying they have a great idea, but they're not going to tell it to me because it's a secret. Right. I, delete, I delete these. Yeah. But the, it's the finishing that's worth something. It's the shipping. It's the making it actually work in the hands of the user that is valuable. And I think we need to remind ourselves as small business people that uh, going too far in certain directions is a mistake, but it's almost impossible to go too far in the direction of shipping, of saying, I'm serious about this. If I touch it, if I start it, I'm going to finish it. Yeah, there's a lot of people accuse entrepreneurs of, of sort of the ready, fire, aim approach, but uh, unfortunately most of the world is ready, aim, 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 aim. <laughs> and and, and I, think, I think that's the problem. So, so um one of the things that I think probably holds people back, and you talk a lot about this, is the idea that, particularly in large organizations, but it can happen in small organizations too, people commonly aren't rewarded enough for taking initiative. In fact, the, the, the bigger reaction is to punish them when the initiative fails. So you know, how do you get over that idea of, hey, it's, it, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and cash my paycheck? Well, there's two things going on here. The first, as you correctly point out, is that in a hangover from the industrial age and a hangover from school, uh, there's this mindset that says, well, we're happy to take innovation, but it always has to work. Mm -hmm. So feel free to innovate, but do not fail. And so corporations themselves need to change. They need to understand that the marketplace is changing. So if we think back to CompuServe, 
or the original AOL mm. or uh, Chicago or Prodigy. Here were all these companies that had everything they needed to become the Internet, to become trillion-dollar companies, and all of them are gone. And the reason is because they demanded uh, perfection before commitment as opposed to the other way around. And that that's one reason why small companies often displace big ones is because the founders can commit before they find perfection. Yeah. But there's a big but here. A lot of people tell themselves that that's the way their companies are. But if they look at who's getting promoted, if they look at who's leaving for great jobs at mm. other companies, those are people who didn't buy that line, right? Yeah. Those are people who said, well, sure, uh, innovation is scary, but that's what makes it scarce. And what makes it scarce is what makes it valuable. So I'm going to go do that scarce thing, even though I might be scared to death to do so. Because if I can do the scarce thing, the market will reward me. Yeah, and I suppose that, that um, that's like a lot of things. I mean, once it, it, it it, it looks on the short term like it takes guts, but it, it's definitely the only path in the long term. You talk about um, seven imperatives that all successful organizations are built on, and, and maybe we can uh, finish up today kind of uh, letting you riff a little bit on how somebody might do some of these things. So does that sound fair? Sure. Well, the, here's, the reason that I list them in the book is uh, I'll go through them real quick. You know, you need to be aware, aware of what the market offers, aware of what the competition has, aware of the technology. You need to be educated, which means that you're smart enough to do something with your awareness. You need to be connected to the market, to suppliers, to other businesses. You need to be consistent so that uh, your customers can count on you. Mm -hmm. You need to have assets, whether those assets are capital or factories or patents or great employees or permission to talk to your customers. And you need to have a, a system that's productive. You need to have an assembly line, a process, something where your productivity gives you the ability to sell something at a profit, right? Well, there are books and schools and courses on all six of these things, right, that we spend most of our time focusing and obsessing about these six things. How can I get more cash? How can I make my factory more productive? How can I make my SEO work better? I mean, they're all about these six things. And my argument is that none of these things are scarce anymore, that all six of these things can be acquired. It's easier to get funding than ever before for certain kinds of businesses, not all. It's easier to get connected. It's easier to get educated. It's easier to become aware. It's easier to find assets. The only thing that is becoming more scarce and thus more valuable is that you take initiative. And so the reason that this book comes in a five-pack and a 52-pack is that I want people, after they read one copy, to say, if all my employees understood that we needed to take more initiative, we would do better, then they can hand it out. And they're giving these, their team a permission slip. And the permission slip says, we're going to fail. We're not going to fail in a tragic way. We're not going to fail in a way that threatens the organization. But we're going to fail small and we're going to fail often. And we're going to initiate. And everyone in this company, part of their job, is to fix something when it's broken. Part of their job is to speak up when they have something to say. And part of their job is to poke the box so we can figure out how to make the marketing and the product and the business work better. One of the, uh, 
I'll, I'll end with probably my favorite quote from the book. Um, I, I've said, been saying for years, people, you know, will give me the chance to talk about sometimes about how to hire, how to find good people for their organization. And I, I haven't come up with the magic way to measure this, but I've been saying for years that I think the number one quality in, in people that I like to work with is curiosity. Um, and you, uh, you really sort of, um, opened my eyes a little bit with this, uh, with this quote initiative is a little like creativity in that both require curiosity. The difference is that the creative person is satisfied once he sees how it's done. The initiator won't rest until he does it. And, Boy, that's a huge distinction. Yeah, and it still goes to the heart of what are you going to do with that fear? You know, marathon runners know what to do with the tired. If they figure out how to deal with the tired, they're going to finish the marathon. And the question to every entrepreneur or someone who aspires to be one is, what are you going to do with the fear? Uh, And if you figure out how to set it aside so you can actually do the thing you want to do, uh, the market can't wait. And my one-word review. I can't wait. Exciting. All right, I'll take it. Um, I think this this book. If you read this book and you're not excited, then this book, <laughs> and no amount of books, uh, are going to uh, to help you in this uh, category. Well, thank you. That means a lot. So, Seth, uh, as always, great to see you. Great to uh, talk to you. In fact, uh, I'm I'm hoping one of these days we'll run into each other in person. I, um, I I don't get to New York enough, but I enjoy it when I do. I'm looking forward to it. The tell me one tell the listeners anyway one last time where they can pick up the I'm assuming that is prom, prominently uh, offered on Amazon uh, in in the five and fifty two packs. But any anything else they need to know about in terms of finding this book. Yeah, Google is your friend. Just type in the Domino Project or type in Poke the Box, and there it will be. All right. Seth, always great to talk to you. Take care, and we'll we'll chat again soon. Thanks for your time. See ya. Bye. Bye.